0: Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, this is Joe Lynch from the Logistics of Logistics. Welcome to my podcast. Today,
1: we're going to talk about ELD with Dean Crowe, who is the Chief Analytics Officer over at Great Waves. welcome Dean. Hi Joe. So before we get started I'll give you a brief intro into uh, where Dean comes from. Dean grew up in a trucking family in Australia. His family owned a trucking business. He's behind been behind the wheel since he was five years old. So <laughs> he's got the real world experience. He's not just a, an analytics wong. So um, Dean welcome. Glad to be here. So Dean, tell us how did you become the chief analytics officer? Freight Waves and what can you tell us? Well, we'll get into ELD in a minute, but first tell us how did you become that Chief Analytics Officer at Freight Waves?
2: Yeah, uh, it's a great question. Freight Waves has been in business for about a year. We're a startup company that specializes in data analytics in the trucking space, in particular in the freight market. My experience working with telematics devices was really how I ended up at Freight Waves because one of the key sources of data for trucking operations and freight markets in understanding truckload capacity is in fact telematics data and in particular ELD data. So the the work I had done in in previous companies where we looked at trailer telematics and ELD telematics and you know, understanding diagnostic trouble codes or coming off engines, all of those sorts of data analytics activities really. Help me generate considerable insight for trucking operations. And what we're doing now at, uh, at FreightWaves is generating insight into freight markets, which is a little bit different because a lot of data analytics focuses on how to run a truck company more efficiently. We, and I like to think of that as working on the cost side of a P&L, whereas what FreightWaves is doing with our sonar dashboard is really working on the top line revenue of a trucking company or a shipper, for that example where we're helping them understand freight markets and how to better position assets in different markets based on the things that drive demand for trucking. And to that end, my principal role is bringing in and aggregating multiple data sources from all over the the world so that we can understand what drives demand for truckload capacity here in the United States.
1: What brought you into that business? You said you started your career as a trucking guy in Australia. What brought you to analytics?
2: You know, it was a life-changing experience. In the late 90s, I lost a couple of drivers and uh, on my watch and um, then watched my best friend run off the road in front of me and kill himself after he hit a tree. And in all three of these examples, these drivers were all compliant with the hours of service regulations. They're only a few hours into the shift. And it was one of those situations where I just thought that you know, if you keep playing the odds long enough you know your number's going to come up eventually so i decided to get out of trucking in the late 90s and ended up working for the Australian Trucking Association as general manager and in the process i was did some uh, consulting work for a, a, an insurance company that insured most of the large trucks in australia and i found out that to my surprise and i didn't realize that it was this profound that about 12% of the accidents caused about 85% of the cost and the 12% of the accidents were pretty much single vehicle lane departures. And these were the drivers that would typically fall asleep at the wheel and drift off the road at about four degrees and hit something. And, you know, most times when drivers fall asleep at the wheel, nothing bad happens. But I happened to experience three events that were life-changing events. So I, I sought a, a sort of career change, which kind of led me down the path of data analytics and looking at data and trying to find out how and why drivers fell asleep at the wheel even though they were compliant with regulations. And it ended up with me presenting at an international conference on fatigue and transportation. And after me was a, a professor from Harvard University that was speaking at the same conference. And he heard me talk and thought that I would be a good person to run his consulting business in Lexington, Mass. And that's, that was the opportunity that I grabbed and moved to the United States in the late 90s and started working in the data analytics field but applying all of my real world experience to the data analytics and computer modeling process. Well wow. now so
1: you actually you you actually ran a trucking company have you also driven some miles yourself?
2: Yeah, I did about 2 million miles as an over the road driver in the outback wow. of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and so you've ex- you've experienced some fatigue then too, right? Uh, yeah, it's uh it's one of those occupational hazards, you know, I would fall asleep at the wheel multiple times a night. And because, you know, the brain interprets the microsleep as a split-second event, human behavior dictates that you think it was only a a momentary lapse, nothing bad happens, so you keep driving. The reality is that when a microsleep, your brain can be asleep for four to five seconds before the neck muscles collapse and your head snaps forward, i.e. the nodding event. So the reality is when you actually fall asleep at the wheel, you can be asleep for four or five seconds before your head nods and you wake up. And because you're not designed to remember sleep, a lot of people have these near-death experiences every night that actually last a lot longer than they really do. So, you know, that that kind of experience is when you understand the physiology of that, and that's why I was so grateful for the opportunity to work with a Harvard professor and study human physiology so I can understand the physiology of sleep and then apply it to trucking operations so we could design things like biocompatible schedules and design sleep education for drivers and, and do some things that help drivers manage their sleep and fatigue levels within the confines of a prescriptive hours of service regulation framework.
1: So that, so that leads us to hours of service and electronic logging device. So obviously, I think obviously, we created hours of service and ELD to combat some of the problems you just described. It took the lives of some of your friends.
2: Right, right. I think that was the aim. You know, part of the challenge here is that regulators try and design regulations around, you know, for the lowest common denominator, you know, the worst of the worst possible outcome we could imagine. And by default, what that does is it excludes the majority of truck operators who do the right thing all the time. That said, there will always be people in any industry who try and circumvent rules and regulations. But in effect, what they've done is they've created a prescriptive Hours of service regulation to you know, this one size fits all mentality and tried to put a box around drivers with the aim of preventing tired drivers from being on the road. But the problem with a one size fits all solution is that invariably drivers will fall outside of that box at some point in time during the workday because drivers are not safe or unsafe. They're safe and unsafe over the continuum of time. You can have a really safe driver be having microsleep events during the night and have no memory of them whatsoever, but be completely compliant with hours of service regulations. And one of the things that I I, I say a lot is that you can be 100% compliant with hours of service regulations and be sound asleep at the wheel at the same time. So this notion that if we have drivers compliant to hours of service regulations, they will somehow magically be safer... It's actually right. totally totally incorrect because the, when you understand the human physiology, you know, we were designed to wake with the sun and go to bed when the sun goes down. So if you don't control light as it hits your optic nerve, in particular blue light, which is why you've got Night Manager on your iPhone to reduce the amount of blue light at night, you know, light becomes really critical. Unless light happens at the same time every day, your sleep becomes really disrupted. And that's that's what happens with Over-the-road truckers in particular, where they're trying to have these 10-hour breaks after sunrise, when sunlight has already woken up their brain and it's told them that another day is here and therefore wake up, when they try and have this 10-hour break during the day, at best, they're lucky to get four and a half hours sleep over an entire 10-hour day, a 10-hour break. Years ago,
1: when I was a kid, I worked night shift and it was the same thing. Right. I could sleep five hours a day. And be exhausted all night, no matter what I seem to try.
2: Well, and that's so one of the things that we do when we design biocompatible schedules for truck fleets is we always make sure the night shift finishes well before sunrise. So the night shift driver is home in bed before the sun comes up and sleeps more like a night person. And then we get more morning type people to start the 4 a.m. shift. So that's what biocompatible scheduling is about, is where you match the schedule of the driver and the appointment times for the loads to their preferred sleep and work patterns. It's really simple to do, but takes a, you know, a fundamental shift in how you think about how you utilize driving assets.
1: This reminds me, I, I told a friend when he asked about ELD, I said, you could look at ELD as I told somebody I had insomnia and they said, oh, that's fine. You need to lay in your bed for eight hours a night. Uh, mm. Close your eyes, and right. it's the law now because it's. And I feel like right. it doesn't solve the problem that I can't sleep. Right.
2: Well, the big challenge is that you know we just assume many fleets assume, and and these are fleet managers in particular, and people that consume transport services. They assume that if a driver has had ten, eleven, or twelve hours off, they therefore should be well rested for the next shift, and that of course is completely untrue because what what could happen is if you're a driver that has to sleep in the day. And you don't manage light and noise and caffeine consumption and and other inputs to to the biological clock, then what happens is you go to work unrested and then it becomes a question of how many hours have you been awake before your shift starts? This is a really interesting question because there's well-proven research that shows that 16 hours of sustained wakefulness is about the same as driving a vehicle with a 0.08 blood alcohol content impairment. So, just think through now how many drivers are awake four hours before they start a 12 hour shift? This is why Sunday nights are such a high risk shift for truck drivers, because if they've had two days off and two nights off, they therefore should be well rested and not be napping on Sunday if they've had two periods of night sleep. So, the reality is, some drivers could actually be awake 10 to 12 hours before they start a night shift on Sunday night, putting them 24 hours awake at the end of the shift. Having worked that shift, I can guarantee that's the case. <laughs> right. And, and the human physiology, you know, the circadian rhythms of the human body overlay on accidents and workplace injuries, you know, Monday through Friday each week with great regularity. And that's why you see globally accidents in the trucking industry spike at 10.30 at night, 5 in the morning, and 2.30 in the afternoon. 30 at night's bedtime that's when sleep pressure starts to increase and alertness drops five in the morning of course is the witching hours when everybody should be sound asleep it's when body temperatures coldest and you should be deep asleep and of course 230 in the afternoon is the siesta period which is about eight hours after you wake which is the first time in the day the brain tries to put you to sleep so you see Different types of accidents at different times of the day, but they're heavily influenced by our circadian rhythms, which gets me back to this one size fits all. There are so many different sleep personalities. You know, you've got some people that are night owls, some that are morning larks. You've got some people are short nappers, no nappers, long sleepers, short sleepers. So when you try and overlay all of these sleep personalities and then the aging body clock where you get 50% less deep sleep from the age 20 to age 50, if you overlay different sleep personalities and then aging body clocks with an hour's of a service regulation, what you find is you have drivers that just literally don't fit inside the prescriptive window. And these are the drivers that really struggle with it. And that's why there's such a big disconnect between compliance and safety because we'll, I often hear people say, well, we're compliant to regulations, but we're still having accidents. And the reality is you're compliant to unsafe regulations won't actually make you any safer. And and my data would suggest that you'll be worse off.
1: So give me a little background. I know when hours of service hit and then ELD hit after that. Tell us about why ELD came about, I think you just described, and then when it went into effect and then
2: what's wrong with it. You know, history, understanding history is a, a really important part of this. The hours of service here in the States were first promulgated in 1936. And essentially we worked on a 10 on, 8 off with a 15-hour workday limit. So 10 on, 8 off meant that you could start a new 10-hour work shift at the 18-hour mark, which meant that drivers were driving you know, lots of hours in a day, but the, the worst part of it was you were going to sleep six hours earlier every 24. So 10 on, 8 off means that a new 10 starts at 18 hours so 18 from 24 is six. So it's a minus six-hour schedule where you start work six hours earlier every day. So just ask yourself, could you go to bed six hours earlier tonight then six hours earlier tomorrow and so on? And, of course, what happened is night becomes day becomes night becomes day and you could start out driving at 6 a.m. on Monday morning and by Thursday your driving shift is starting at midnight. And, and it's, it was this flip-flopping of schedules Created excessive amounts of fatigue. So, the scientists that were behind the hours of service regulations, and we hosted the DOT and the FMCSA and Transport Canada in Australia in the late 90s to look at our fatigue management pilots and and how we were able to integrate human physiology into the design of schedules. And some of that research made its way into the 2004 rules change, which essentially brought drivers' workday and work week more in line with a 24-hour schedule. So if you think about the context of what I just said, 10 on, 8 off, which is still how the motor coach industry runs today. But in 2004, the trucking industry went to to 11 on, 3 other, and 10 off. So you got 11, 3, and 10 makes 24. And the logic behind that was to try and get drivers more in line with a 24-hour workday which is, coincidentally, the rising and setting of the sun is every 24 hours. So what the goal was was to try and stabilize a driver's daily work schedule to be more consistent with the aim of locking in sleep time. So that, in theory, that sounds great. The problem is that if sleep isn't at the same time every day, you start to end up with sleep deprivation and cumulative fatigue because our inbuilt human drive is for a thing called anchor sleep. And anchor sleep is something that it just drives us to sleep at the same time in the same place in the same location every single day. So this is a human inbuilt drive. But what happens if your schedules change and you get light at different times of the day and your start time is different every time, every day? What happens is your sleep schedule becomes disrupted. And they're already traveling, right? <laughs> right. Well, so imagine you've got 11 on three other for unloading, loading, fueling, showering, and then you have this 10-hour break that could happen during the day. Now, so if you're having a 10-hour break in the day, what's happening is you're actually probably getting too much light because sleeper cabs these days have windows, which is absolutely ludicrous. They should be completely dark and cool, and drivers aren't getting the sleep quality in the day. And we have this sort of notion that if we manage hours of work, we can therefore allow drivers to be well-rested for the next shift when what we really should be regulating is hours of sleep so that drivers can then be more alert during the wheel. So we're actually looking at this completely the wrong way and the fixation on fatigue is actually one of the misleading things because fatigue is something that happens as a result of sleep deprivation and sleep truncation and sleep disruption. So the focus really should be on not the symptom, i.e. fatigue, but on the cause, which is the timing of sleep. That's the big missing element in the whole hours of service equation is the is the driver's sleep. So how would you fix it? So um, I've done over 500 sleep classes for truckers and their wives and teenagers. And the most important thing you can do is teach drivers how to sleep within the confines of the work task that they have. So whether... It's sleep in a moving vehicle, sleeping in truck stops, sleeping at home during the day with teenagers and children. There's a range of things you can do to teach drivers just about how to sleep in whatever environment they're in. Um, You can teach them about what their own sleep personality is like, what their sleep preferences like. And then you can work with the management and the company to design schedules around drivers' sleep and work preferences. So I've found that if you can teach drivers and their families how to sleep and when to sleep and how to schedule sleep. You can get some really good safety outcomes. And you might say, well, why do I involve the family? The family dictates the driver's sleep environment. So it's absolutely critical. Whenever you talk to drivers about sleep, you have to involve the home because it's the home environment that creates the perfect sleep opportunity or the reverse in the event that you've got noise and disruptions.
1: Yeah, I can attest to that. When you're trying to, uh, when you work the night shift like I did, it's impossible to go home and sleep sometimes because there is noise. Right. Right.
0: We'll get right back to the podcast in just a moment. If you sell transportation or logistics services, the Logistics of Logistics can help you sell more. Our customized program will help you understand your sales personality, including your strengths and blind spots, get more sales leads, and improve your communication and salesmanship. We can also position you as a recognized industry expert and help you reach your target audience. To learn more, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com. And now, back to the show. I know we've talked a lot about what's
2: wrong with ELD. What would you say is right about ELD? So there's a couple of things that are great. You know, the data that comes off the ELD device is very clean. It's very structured. It's consistent. And it's actually highly predictive. So from a data analytics perspective, I can take uh, four lines of a driver's log and really accurately predict which drivers are going to fall outside of the safety window. And it's typically about 10 to 12% of drivers in any given day will be operating schedules that have a really high degree of probability in terms of a single vehicle lane departure. So if you use the data from the ELDs, it can actually help you identify drivers each night or day that you need to work with. So it's about targeted Application of limited resources to just work with those drivers whose schedules may need some tweaking. You may need to bump out an appointment time. You may need to repower the load, put the driver to sleep, pay them you know some extra money to be held over that night. There's some things you can do to manage that situation, but essentially data analytics is the key. The other good parts of it, I love the idea of the 30-minute rest break. I know a lot of drivers don't like it. The reality is that in other countries where hours of service are more advanced, drivers have to have half hour off every five hours. It makes no sense to think that you can sit there for eight, nine, 10 hours at a stretch and not get out of the vehicle. Having said that, there are some drivers who can do that. There's some really good mile makers out there that can do that. But for most drivers, what they should be doing is changing their operating environment as frequently as they can. And one of the things that I teach drivers to do is stop when you're not tired, because they've been... Conditioned for years to pull over when they're tired, the reality is one night or day, that'll be too late. So I encourage drivers to pull over when they're not tired and freshen up because that'll make the next low point much better. So the hours of service, you know, the data that comes off the ELD device can help fleets manage their schedules better. It can help through data analytics identify which drivers are most at risk and therefore you can reduce schedules. You could go to shippers and help um, change the scheduling of appointment times. That's what that biocompatible scheduling is. And generally, that's about it in terms of the good points because there's so many bad points that need to be fixed. <laughs> I'm struggling to come up with many more good ones. But you said something I thought was interesting
1: that you said you analyzed and you can see that ten or twelve percent of the drivers are going to have problems. Yep. Does waves do analysis, or are you just saying in general ELD? We'll allow you to do
2: that uh, in, yeah, so we don't do any of that level of uh, predictive modeling but other companies do you know've uh, in my prior company at Omnitrax uh, we built some really clever predictive models Omnitrax analytics we built some really clever predictive models. Uh, we built one called an accident severity model which could take in ELD data and you know at the hourly level predict which drivers were falling outside of the safety window in terms of fatigue risk scores. So there are companies out there right now and a number of different modeling entities that can take streams of electronic duty rest data, whether it be ELDs or a time and attendance clock uh, in a shift work environment, and they can predict levels of fatigue, risk, and accident or injury probability with a, with a high degree of accuracy. Right. You know, uh, one of the things I've become aware of with ELD
1: is there's a lot of data all of a sudden become uh, available on how long you're sitting at a location. Right. And the, it occurred to me that we've always had maybe an extra cost associated mm. with sitting. And maybe mm. you say, I don't go to that. I won't pick up there because they make me wait. That's been very anecdotal. but I feel like ELD is doing is putting yeah. some real data around it. So you say, yeah. the reason I won't pick up at that company is because, but well, well, we don't really share that data across the industry. I think at some point we are.
2: That's sort of been one of the Unintended outcomes of this is the focus on the inefficiencies in the supply chain because for many years, uh, the trucking industry has absorbed all of the inefficiencies in the supply chain, particularly when it comes to bumping docks. And drivers would have, you know, under with the paper logs, you'd typically trade off being held on a loading dock because you could just go off duty and preserve your hours on your 60 or 70. Now, with the requirement to go on to line four on duty, non driving. Those minutes on a dock, essentially, if you're not getting paid, reduce your total work opportunity during the week because every hour on a dock on line four comes off your weekly 60-hour you know, period of, of work availability. So if you're not getting paid, you know, I like to think of it, you know, drivers have got a 14-hour workday, which incidentally is about double what the, the national average is. But let's just start with a 14-hour workday, which is 11 on three other if you're not being paid for those three hours of other work on a loading dock, you know, that represents about 20% of your potential hours of pay each day. And what I've found is that a lot of trucking companies have been giving away 20% of driver's time to shippers for free by not having any data right. to say, hey, our trucks have been sitting on duty, non-driving, on your loading dock for all of these you know, hours during the week. And, and what it does for fleets, if they're really clever about this, they can use that data in the rate negotiation process and say, if we can improve efficiency at this loading dock, we could do some things creatively with our rating structure. If you can help us improve our utilization, because every hour on a dock decreases from our rolling time on the road.
1: Right. With ELD limiting hours the way it does, isn't the meter running? If I get to a location and you don't load me, I can see some trucking companies saying, I don't care if we're sitting on your dock or driving,
2: you're paying for it. Right. One way or the other. Yeah. Well, so that's a good question. I I don't know that a lot of fleets have adequately factored in this waiting time into their rate calculations because it's all mileage-based. And what we're seeing now at FreightWaves is the measure of capacity constraint is not miles now, it's actually hours So the capacity in any market now is not based on miles or trucks, it's actually based on how many hours trucks have got to drive, because now everything is digitally recorded every minute of every day. So it means that shippers now have to be accountable for those minutes on a dock and those hours on a dock, because if a fleet has to run you know X number of miles every day to be profitable, then those hours on a dock actually potentially decrease their profitability, which drives up their costs, which drives up their rates
1: and I hope to have you back to talk about shipper of uh, choice. Everybody wants to become a shipper of choice and I think that means a number of things but probably number 1 it means get me loaded quickly.
2: <laughs> yeah, and and treat drivers with respect and you know accommodate them and provide good rest facilities and you know just be civil. Um not force them to right. sit in a in a truck looking at a red or green light on a loading dock and not be allowed out of their vehicle. Like, there's some there's some things that go on that are pretty shady and I uh, I'd, I'd love to see, yeah. I'd love to see those things another topic. <laughs>
1: exactly. I want to pick your brain on that in another podcast, but this is excellent. I, I really appreciate it. So what can trucking companies do and what can drivers do to make this a better situation as far as safety and working within the ELD constraints?
2: There's a couple of things you know fleets can do. Uh, one is we talked about the data analytics piece. So I think they could use data, you know, drivers can use ELD data to their own defense now because they can prove where they were, where they weren't. Um, so, you know, that, that becomes to, the, to their advantage in the event that there's litigation. Hopefully that never happens. Uh, fleets can use data to introduce biocompatible scheduling, design schedules, you know, around drivers preferred sleep and work patterns. I think what shippers really need to be hearing from trucking companies is, how do we, in a more of a dynamic way, schedule our appointment times for loads? How do we integrate with your warehouse management software better so that we can time the arrival of trucks much more accurately because there's there's nothing more that frustrates a driver than hurry up and wait. you know they they'll rush and hurry and and be really cognizant of making good trip times only to get to a shipper and be told they're not ready to load or there's a two hour wait. and it's that kind of inefficiency that the trucking industry is absorbed for too long so i think i'd be looking for eld data to form the basis of some really objective decision making when carriers and shippers meet to talk about how do they improve the efficiency of an operation some of it's cultural so there's not just a data aspect it's a cultural you know human respect angle because drivers you know generally don't get treated all that well when they when they're bumping docks the other aspect is just the straight up education piece. I think that's, that's a critical component that I've found to be highly successful in a handful of fleets in the United States. And that is just teaching drivers the science of sleep. But that extends right through to the CEO of a company. You know, ELD data is really insightful in terms of who's, who's at risk, which drivers are at risk every night. And uh, if you couple that with sleep education at the driver manager and the fleet operations level, Uh, Right through to the CEO, and and talking about sleep becomes part of the culture, then what you actually get is you engineer in safe working practices that deliver sustainable outcomes. And and my data shows that if you can teach drivers how to sleep within the confines of hours of service, they'll run about 10% more miles per tractor week because well rested drivers do more miles. Everybody kind of knows that anecdotally, but they'll run about 10% more miles per tractor week if they're well rested. Uh, they're 30% less likely to quit because they're more rested, more alert, more cognizant, more rational. So there's a number of things that fleets can do from an educational perspective that will impact both accidents and turnover. And I think generally speaking, uh, the most important thing that they, you know, fleets should, really should understand is that just because you're compliant to regulations won't improve safety. And my analytics showed uh, at Freightwaves that the fleets that were on paper logs, prior to converting to electronic logs were about 30% safer in terms of severe accident probability. So that was a study I did over about 12 billion miles uh, yearly involving 30 fleets and and you know I always knew that paper logs allowed drivers to do their hours more flexibly, not do more hours. That's one of the great myths with paper logs. Drivers with paper logs were able to pull up when they're tired, drive when they were awake, and the numbers just added up to 11.3 and and 10 every day. So what what they found was what I found was through the study that drivers on paper logs were about 30% safer in terms of severe accident probability. Fast forward to today when those fleets on paper logs are on electronic logs, their accident rates are about the same. So I think my message would be, you know, don't think that just being compliant is going to mean you're safer. It could actually make things worse if you're not managing risk and trying to identify those at-risk drivers within your total population. And again, that's about 12% of the population.
1: So let me ask a quick question. You mentioned this whole idea of the driver education, and obviously that's important. What about the people who are scheduling? How many uh, trucking companies out there, let's give me a percentage, are actually using the right
2: information to create their schedules? Right. That, that's probably one of the more disappointing aspects of my last 20 years. Joe, it's less than 10. Out of all the trucking companies we've talked to in the United (laughs) States, there's less than 10 fleets that I've worked with across three different companies that have actually taken the step to implement sleep management strategies. Because a lot of, a lot of folks in operations will default to, well, if we teach drivers how to sleep, we'll just have drivers pulled up everywhere napping and we'll never get any more miles done. And the reality is it's quite the opposite because a well rested driver is a much more valuable and safer employee. We found some fleets didn't even want to mention the word fatigue. In fact, employees were banned from mentioning the word fatigue because they were scared to death of litigation. And and the other problem is a, a lot of fleets struggled with high turnovers. These are the large fleets. They struggled with this idea of, why should I invest in drivers who are going to leave next month anyway? And it was kind of like, well, do I keep bailing water out of the sinking boat or do I fix the holes in the boat in the first place? And and there weren't many fleets that actually said, yep, we're going to sign up and we're going to stop the revolving door of driver turnover and we're going to start to implement some serious safety culture in our businesses. Now, I will say that most of those fleets had, you know, they reached a crisis. There was a turning point in their businesses where they had to change what they were doing. But generally speaking, most fleets just are happy with being compliant to hours of service regulations. And because they don't really, you know, accidents in databases are never coded as, you know, the driver fell asleep. Accidents are typically coded by what happened, a description of the event, not what caused it. So if you look at a hit guardrail or a runoff road, you know, both of those are microsleeps. One's in the right-hand lane that hits a rail, The trucker that runs into the median is a, is a microsleep in the, in the hammer lane. In the databases, though, both of those microsleep events are coded as a hit guardrail and a wrecker because the wrecker pulled the truck out of the median. So when you look at databases and data sets, it's very hard for the insurance industry to actually quantify how big of a problem this is. So most fleets will say to you, my biggest problem is low-speed backing manoeuvres in truck stops and customer sites. And I would say, no, that's probably your most frequent but your most costly 80% 80% of accidents come from about 12 to 15% of the number of accidents, and they have a very distinct risk signature. There'll be a four degree drift from lane center, and they'll there'll be no braking, there'll be no change in speed, and they'll most likely have cruise control engaged. They're really easy to spot. And once you once you get to that level of discussion, then there's this epiphany, oh, okay, so now what do we do about it? And that's the education piece, and then restructuring of the schedules to accommodate some of the sleep science. And that's the part that's actually the easiest. The hardest part is getting over this cultural resistance of we don't have a fatigue problem when the reality is right. that yeah, most of your cost comes from literally that. Yeah. it's. It, I'll tell you what, it, it, you mentioned it earlier,
1: and I think it's very true. It starts off with disrespect. Do you right. respect the people you're working with. Do you want to have one member of your team at risk? And, right. you know, let's face it, not just not just the driver, right. th- those are big, big trucks. You, right. Your families are driving down this road. So this has been excellent, Dean. Tell me more, like, if I want to follow up and learn more about what you're doing at Freight Waves, how would I go about doing that?
2: Uh, that's a great question. So our website's FreightWaves.com. Uh, you can learn more about our Sonar Freight Markets dashboard there. Uh, you can sign up for our Freight Waves daily uh, market insights Product, which is fascinating. And lastly, I'd love to see everybody attend our MarketWaves conference on November 12 and 13 at the Gaylord Resort in Grapevine, Texas. Uh, it's called MarketWaves 18. It follows on from the success of our Transparency 18 event in Atlanta a few weeks ago. Uh, we'll talk a lot about ELDs, we'll talk a lot about data analytics, we'll share with the participants some of the insights we've been able to glean from what fleets are doing. With the hours of service regulations, what sort of uh, utilization numbers we're seeing on lines one, two, three, and four of a driver's log, and uh, and start to share some of those insights so so fleets can run a little bit more efficiently and drivers can do it a bit bit more safely. That's excellent. So what is Sonar? Uh, Sonar is our dashboard product that we've got that allows fleets and shippers and drivers, owner operators, to gain insights into what's happening in the freight markets in real time, so they can understand what trucks are in what markets, what weather, what fuel prices, uh, what ships are coming into what ports. So it's a way for people to look into all of the different markets across the country and understand where they should position their assets and most importantly, what lanes they should be bidding on differently. So if, if you're an owner operator, for example, you might see that There's, uh, you know, bad weather in Chicago being predicted in November and a lot of people might look at that and say, well, I'm just not going to go to Chicago when I would look at that and say, I'm going to drop my rates out of Dallas. I'm going to get to Chicago because the spot rates out of Chicago could be three times higher than normal. Oh. So so (laughs) if you think about how, I think if you've got a little bit more insight into what's happening in markets and what weather's doing and fuel's doing and where trucks are moving, yeah, we bring in data sets from hundreds of different sources so we can help people understand how freight markets are interacting with the trucking and shipping community. Uh, and that's, the, that's what the dashboard does that we released at um, Transparency 18 in Atlanta a few weeks ago.
1: Well, excellent. I look forward to seeing that. So that's if I wanted to look at Sonar, would I go to
2: freightwaves.com? Yep, freightways.com. Yep. You'll find all of our different products there and we can set up demonstrations to take folks through this technology and show them how we can display all of the different ELD data sets. So we could show them, for example, how many hours all of our ELD trucks are running on line three, for example. You know, we see that in some markets, trucks are only running about 6.8 hours a day on line three out of a potential 11, which is fairly inefficient when you think about it. But it's a way for fleets to benchmark how their fleet does against the national average. And that's, that's sometimes that's really insightful.
1: Yeah. Well, Ted, Dean, this has been very insightful. Normally I hear people just complain about ELD, of course, or hours of service and what you have and where you come from. You were really our, uh, The expert on this. And I do appreciate you taking the time to share some of those insights
0: with us. Thank you, Joe. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.